It's Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Weekend, weekend, Friday, 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 Friday. Oh, man, Adam Candy. I don't know if he's uh, down in the dumps about how the first two hours went. I thought it went okay, but I'll admit it, Candy. Candy is the company today. Ari's here in the Finley Toyota Studios. I've had a lot of trouble concentrating. We've got a situation in the studio today, and I hope I'm not throwing you off. I know Ari's been freaked out about it. It's been weird, man. Those first two hours were a big challenge. Real big. All right. What do, you, what do you think, Cofield? Yeah, do, do, have, have we? Do you think we've solved it yet? Because I, no. it, it, it's one hell of a challenge. I have a theory, but I want to hear what you come up with. Okay, uh, there is there are very few people in sports radio who would tell this story on the air, uh, and and you'll understand why in a second. Because uh, I think they'd be embarrassed. I don't care, um, but. I have a schnoz that apparently is growing as I get older. Man, I, I, I tell you, I took a selfie when I was on vacation. and Actually, the SO did. It was like a close-up picture, and I'm like, when did Carl Malden get on your phone? I don't know what my nose is like. It's, 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 not, it's not a good thing, but it's very sensitive. Deep cut. Yeah. Uh, it's very sensitive. A little self-deprecation there. It's very sensitive. So, so if I smell something that's a little bit off, it may throw me off. I have spent two hours... Randomly smelling urine. Go on. And I have basically smelled every surface in the studio, every item I brought in, and I keep getting wafts of urine. And I can't figure it out, but it just keeps coming at me like every 30 seconds, and Ari's being all thrown off because I'm I smelled the phone, my mouse, all of the cords I have in here. My uh, my water, my mask, my computer, my shirt, the John Gruden Corona promo, uh, like big bobblehead. I smelled all over that. I haven't gotten on the floor to smell the carpet. I smelled my small bag, my big bag, my shirt. I took off both of my shoes and smelled them. And I have been repeatedly smelling my mic shield. I can't figure it out. Okay, first of all, you said shirt twice, so I'm assuming the shirt might be the culprit. Um, I keep doing the shirt repeatedly. I think you're, yeah, no, you keep... I mean, I don't think each pit counts separately, so you did say it twice. Um, now, for someone who's an aficionado like you, yes, for someone who clearly has a nose that knows... Um, is this a particular type of urine? Yeah, it is. I think it's cat like has someone had a has someone had asparagus today? I think it's cat urine, and uh, we have uh, a lot of cats. Uh, wait a second! Yeah, oh, have, my whole theory just changed. Every once in a while, uh, they'll get froggy uh, in the house. We've got multiple litter boxes. They're mostly clean cats, but every once in a while, they get a little temperamental, and uh, they may 
take a leak Wheel. on something. Yeah, I've had uh, I've I've actually had cases in the past where I I went out of the house, I had thrown a hat on, I'm like, gee, damn it! I'm like, something smells, and then like after half an hour, I'm like, oh, it's my head with this pee hat on. So. I don't know, man. And I, so how is this still a mystery at this point? Well, I think the, the only the only thing I don't have the flexibility to smell on my person are my pants. Take them off. I don't want to do that in studio. But I could go to the it's bathroom. It's radio. No one will, it's radio. Come on. At this point. Live a little. <laughs> I know, but uh I, I went commando today, so I don't wanna, you know, be like Oh, oh so we have. Uh, I don't yeah, be, no, I, sorry, no, I meant, no, I meant no, flop. There's a harassment be, case. I don't want to be flopping around. You get what I'm saying? I, I, unfortunately, I do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, all right, all right, old pee pants. Well, uh, well, apparently, we've I, solved the mystery. Well, we don't know yet. We'll figure it out at some point. Yeah, but, oh, uh, okay. All right, that's not good. Ari, stop rolling around in urine. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. Yeah, that was disgusting. So imagine if I was out of town, I packed one pair of pants, and it was the pee pants, and I had paid $750 for myself and the SO, another $750, to hit the road, come to Vegas, and get two nights at a hotel and go to a Raiders game. Uh, that apparently is one of the travel packages uh, Allegiant has put together. So that includes, I guess, a flight. Are we on board here? Packages start at 749 I guess, well, the flight, depending on where you're coming from, I mean, the flight may be from, what, Reno or, like, Orange County, so the packages probably go up from there. Uh, anyone out there was like, no one's going to Raider games. They pissed off half the country, half their audience with this fully vaxxed thing. I don't know. If the one-game travel packages start at seven fifty a person, I think they're okay. Well, remember, it's Allegiant, so they might be flying from Grand Forks or, yeah. you know. Uh, somewhere else that is not a, a usual destination. I'd say if you only spent seven fifty on your travel package, uh, you in your frugality probably have enough for a new pair of Dockers or the Costco equivalent uh, to Dockers, which I assume there must be multiple in your arsenal. For my road trips, I actually use the expandable Sansa belts. Yeah. Oh, with the with the little pleats uh, on the side, right? Like, yeah, you know, I can, so you can I, have as much fast food in the dining room yes. as you like, and you can still get to the sideline with no problem. Have the versatility of the waist anywhere between thirty six and forty four. Yeah, I mean, look, some people would say that's gluttonous. I would say it's practical. Number four. Oh boy, I don't know where the hell we're going here. I got to correct something. Yesterday, I was I was kind of getting on some folks for posting that there was actually a number uh, UNLV minus ten or eleven on the Eastern Washington game. Apparently, at one point, I don't think it was that high, uh, but you could get Eastern Washington plus seven and a half because our guy Brad Powers on Thursday said, uh, and and by the way, he had twenty three bets going last night. I think he said he had placed one hundred and fifty something bets before the season, and this this is what pros do. Candy, you know this. You cover these guys. They're looking for good numbers all the time. And actually, Brad Powers last night uh, had Eastern Washington plus 7.5, plus 4.5. And, and as it turned out, the game got closer, but it was a 35-33 final. They won, so that was a pretty easy winner. And you could get good numbers if you shopped. How about even the closing number that when we talked to Brad during the show yesterday, yeah. uh, it was Eastern Washington laying 1.5, and Brad said, no problem, I'll still lay it. Oh, wow. right there. Get, Win on the hook. Uh, Brad had an interesting theory on it. I think he's probably right. 
uh, that this was a number that originated offshore somewhere. Yep. And some some folks who are wise, they might be guys, uh, <laughs> might have bet that number up offshore so it could be copied here in Vegas and uh, maybe caught some people off guard. Now, I want you to explain that because uh, that has been happening for years. It doesn't. I don't think it happens as much as it used to, but uh, there are the pros are adept at that by setting up a number that is kind of ridiculous to play it the other way. Yeah, the short version is that when you see a price set at a sports book, there are a handful of books anywhere in the world that are actually coming up with their own price and risking whatever comes with that. And most of them are offshore because they have the kind of liquidity uh, to deal with it. Or you're finding books that are essentially seeing what else is out there in the market and copying a number and going with that number. Um, if you are a book that's going to copy numbers from offshores or from other places, you're going to leave yourself susceptible to some folks being able to move that number in other places by saying, you know, we'd like to be able to find that number from someplace that is copying. We can't find it offshore because they originated the number, let's say at three. We would like that number a little more like six, and they might find a way to move it offshore until it were copied elsewhere in the legal market in multiple places where they might be able to get down action. Number three. 35-33 loss in double overtime. Rebels almost pulled off uh, the miracle comeback, which isn't the greatest narrative when you're playing a team like Eastern Washington. But they did fight, 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 because they were not playing well offensively. They were down 20-6. to six. In the third quarter, one of the heroes of the night candy was Charles Williams. He wound up rushing for 172 yards on 27 carries, multiple touchdowns. But, you know, uh, I, I saw it happening. You know, I watched these things in the post-game press conference. Uh, Mike Romala had a great angle. You know, when you think about it, Charles Williams, man, what a loyal guy. He's been a warrior for this team. He's beaten himself up. Last year wasn't a great year uh, in the COVID season. And when he has nights like this and they fall short, it's really disappointing, and I want you to hear the kind of the hesitation here. He was asked the question, hey, how he felt after the game, and how does he keep having a positive attitude when, you know, he's he's experienced a lot of losses. Honestly, you just got to it's, – it's really difficult. Like, right now, it's really difficult, yes. But, you know, as a man, you got to understand and learn from your mistakes and get better from it, and we're not going to dwell on this too long. You know, we're going to get back at it tomorrow, see what we had to do. And, you know, see what plays we could have hit on and get better. Simple as that. You can't look at this loss and hang on to it all season. We got 11 more games to go. So we got to focus on those 11 games. Yeah, I think those are some of the cool moments when you cover teams, Candy. And we saw the same thing. Just a very exasperated uh, Alec Martinez after VGK got bumped from the playoffs. And, you know, we all we all kind of roll along. And it's, you know, it's normal that teams win and lose. But, it, you know, at some point, the athlete's like, oh, God. This is not easy to deal with. So, uh, Charles Williams did a great job last night, and I, I appreciated his honesty after the game. Like, yeah, we, you got to move on. But, yeah, I'm not happy. Uh, Cofield, you know I come from a background of the written word and working as a newspaper reporter. And so I tried to tell stories with those transcriptions every day yeah. and try to capture whatever the athlete or the coach was saying. I think that right there is a perfect example of why you have to listen. Because if you hear the words that Charles Williams says and how he says them, it's a lot different than reading something in print that I think would look kind of cliche, kind of like, well, can't dwell on it, got to get better, etc. There's emotion in Charles Williams there. There, there is, there is a resolve, but there is such a frustration that Charles Williams, I thought, captured 
perfectly how I hope the rest of the UNLV roster feels, how I hope that they can listen to that message that Charles Williams had and internalize it because it was a message that says, yeah, I understand that this is bad, but it is something that we have to learn from, we have to recover from, we have to come back from, which I think quite honestly differed a little bit from what I heard from Marcus Arroyo. Number two. Uh, Marcus Arroyo after the game uh, talking about, you know, close loss and mentioned moral victories, and I know it got under your skin. Here's another mention of the moral victory. That resiliency is something I, that I think that these guys are uh, undermentioned for. These guys are fighting, man. They're fighting their tail off. They fought their tail off to get in this situation. And uh, to be here do what we do is different than what they've done. Their resiliency I am humbled by. Uh, I'm not surprised to see that. But I think where we're moving now is the fact that I don't want moral victories in that. I don't think they do either. We're done with that. You know, um, we got to move the needle. We got we to gotta play good football. We got to do things that win. And I know they want that. That's the expectation. The expectation that is to do that. So I think they did a heck of a job. And I think that I, I've known that they're about that. But I know, they, I know what they want. And, I, and we got we to gotta get it to them. It starts with me, starts with our staff, starts with us all together. Uh, getting back in there, going to work. Candy? It's closer. Uh, moral victories, I still think, is the wrong term for it. Right. I, I don't think it's appropriate. I think if you want to talk about what happened last night against Eastern Washington, you couldn't find a moral victory if you walked around that stadium for three hours after the game. Like, hmm. there's not a moral victory to be had right. in losing to an FCS team. And the fact that you even had a chance in overtime is remarkable because Eastern Washington pissed it away at the end of regulation by going for the field goal. So the point of the matter is... There are no moral victories. I appreciate what he said about resiliency and these guys have fought through us doing things a different way. But what Marcus Arroyo has to realize, and I hope he does, is that they're only going to continue to fight through those things for so long before the lack of any actual victories becomes a real thing. And the fact of the matter is, even though it's a COVID season, we are now at the point where we're seven games in and UNLV has not won. This is the most competitive that they've been throughout. And the idea of even considering a moral victory against an FCS team, instead of saying, yup, we competed with Boise State, we won by, you know, we lost by seven points, but hey, we were in that game. Yeah, I can live with that. I can absolutely live with, you know what? It's not good enough that we competed with the best. We got to go be able to beat the best. Eastern Washington ain't the best. And the fact that we are talking about this at this point, the first UNLV season I watched was 1989. And it was only a few years ago that this team lost as a massive favorite to an FCS level team. And this time they lost to an FCS team that they were dogs to. And we're still saying, well, trust the process. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just the frustration of having watched this program for as many years as I have, but it's hard to swallow. Number one. Big news of the day around college football. And by the way, one of the big games going on right now, uh, number 10, North Carolina, struggling, but maybe getting back in the game. They were down 14 nothing at the half. Now it's 14-7. Virginia Tech leads this one late in the third. But uh, more conference realignment rumors out there. It looks like the choices of the Big 12. In terms of adding teams, they're going to go a lot of – AAC and also BYU. BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. Uh, according to Brett McMurphy, college football expert, says BYU could join next season. A year 
or so before the others. All four could join before Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC. What do you think? Why are they adding these four schools? Well, the Big 12 essentially did what was done to them. They looked at the next conference down, they found the best teams they could find, and they went and plucked those teams. And so is it about TV markets? Is it about you know the strength of the schools? No. It's about the fact that UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati, the last five years especially, have been consistently competitive football teams, and at least a couple of them have representative basketball programs in Cincinnati and Houston. I think where the question comes in is extending out to BYU. Uh, that's the one that stands out like a sore thumb for a program that, when it left the Mountain West, had aspirations of going and becoming the Notre Dame west of the Rockies. Well, they got themselves into a power conference, so good on that. But this ain't Notre Dame. I mean, this is going into what is clearly the number five conference in the Power Five as it stands right now. So is it a victory? I think it still is a victory for BYU because they were never able to schedule at the level they thought they were going to when they left the conference. So you have to swallow a little bit of that defeat, but where do they end up? They don't have to go crawling back to the Mountain West. They don't have to go to the WCC and let football still play independent. They're going to end up in a conference that shares in some of the biggest TV money that the country has to offer. If... UNLV's football program were consistently at six, seven wins the last five years. The Vegas market is hot as a pistol, right, for sports. Would it even matter right now? I mean, the Boise is a really good program. I think San Diego State would be a hell of an addition for any conference. Would it matter if the Rebel football program were in a much better place right now for Big 12 entry? Well... I think it would matter if the Rebel football program and the Rebel basketball program were in a different place. Because it, if you're going to win six games and you're also going to have a middling basketball program like UNLV is right now, then what makes you better than Colorado State? What makes you better than some of the other mid-tier teams out there that someone could go grab? Because if you're going to give me the Denver market with Colorado State versus the Vegas market with UNLV when I'm getting what you just said, which is a six-win football program and a basketball program that competes for an NCAA tournament bid every three, four years, you hope. Uh, I don't think that that's really anything that makes UNLV stand out. The market's hot, but the market is somewhat limited. Ultimately, this place is not going to grow that much more. And so the TV market's never going to be a lot bigger than it is right now in the desert. So... I'm not sure that UNLV being a six-win football team alone would get them into a power five because I think that ship has sailed. Damn, gut punch. Big 12 going to add Salt Lake, Cincinnati, Orlando, Houston, choosing those four markets over Vegas and Boise and San Diego. Hmm. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. The pitch goes to Williams. Charles has room. He's at the 10. He's at the 5. Touchdown! Touchdown, Rebels! Charles Williams took the pitch and went around on the sweep, and he got in. Now... Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Adam Candy is here. Adam Hill will be up in about five minutes. We'll get the latest on the Raiders moves. Crazy week of moves. 
All right, Candy. Uh, we, you know, we'll have to talk more about the uh, UNLV loss uh, next week. We uh, hit it in a couple of spots. Uh, very interesting. There was a big call early in the game. Noel Williams got booted from the game, targeting. Uh, first of all, did you think that call? Hey, you're you're a guy who actually officiates. Did you think that call was okay? I'm gonna be completely honest with you when it comes to officiating football. I have mad respect for those guys because I was actually talking about this play with another basketball official last night and saying, I don't know how you call targeting, period. Not that play, not any particular play. I don't know how you watch a guy running from 30 yards (laughs) at full speed and try to figure out, did he mean to take his head off? Did he actually hit him in the head versus hitting him in the chest or the shoulder and his head snaps back? So I'm going to tell you quite honestly, I don't work football. I don't know if I'm the guy to tell you this, but I will tell you, I think calling that on the field is impossible. Now, at the very end of the game, so Noel Williams gets tossed. At the very end of the game, uh, here's the call on TV. You got a Zyle Griffin catch on the one-yard line. Uh, He's trying to turn to get to the end zone to get the two-point conversion and tie things up. The safety for Eastern Washington comes in. He lays a hit on him. And uh, ooh, maybe this hit was a little questionable. Broomfield the throw. Easter Washington, same game over. I believe he caught it, but he was just shy and let the celebration begin. The Eagle have come to Allegiant Stadium and claimed victory. Eli Doyle, 25, came up and made sure he didn't get in. Yeah, Eli Doyle, 6'1", 180, transfer from Arizona State. 1,000% helmet to helmet. But no call made. Am I flipping out about it? No, but could it have been made? Yes. That's why this rule is so difficult. Because in that split second, do they see it at the very end of a game on a game deciding play? And I know you hate this, Candy, but our officials going to be throwing the same flags they would in the first quarter. You when hope, it comes to you hope, but when it comes to actually deciding the game. I think you're going to find every official who will tell you the same thing. Yeah, you want to call it exactly the same in every situation at all times. But anybody who tells you that's actually how it gets done is BSing you. It's not true. It's absolutely not true. Um, The standard for that play is going to be a lot higher than it is at any other time, whether the officials want to admit that or not. If a play is going to change the actual outcome of the game at that point, Not, oh, did they get close to the 10-yard line, blah, blah, blah. No, that changes the outcome of the game. The standard is going to be different. Yeah, I have uh, officials' backs on this stuff, you know, for the most part. Um, Because it happened in Ohio State and Minnesota. In in real time, it didn't look like a helmet-to-helmet in the fourth quarter, but it turned out to be a helmet-to-helmet. You'll get... You know, you'll get goofball radio hosts who've never stepped on a field, who are complete non-athletes, uh, certainly have never officiated anything, who are like, fire the guy, suspend him. Like, it ain't that easy. It's a bang-bang deal. Um, I didn't, you know, you don't love that Noel Williams got tossed from the game. But when you watch the replay, I, you know, intent or not, it was a vicious hit. It was helmet to helmet. And they made their decision. He got tossed, and it probably cost in the long run. Uh, you know, it was one of the reasons that the Rebels had a lot of trouble defending the pass down the stretch. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota. 
running like a Toyota. Merritt lines up to the left of Eric Berrier. Now he's pressured. Pass over the middle is caught. And then cutting inside the 25, inside the 20 with room at the 10, at the 5. And getting into the end zone for an apparent touchdown now. Eastern Washington's, it looked like Freddie Roberson. Breaking tackles. That was quite an effort right there. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Some missed tackles on that play. It was a well-designed play by Eastern Washington. Some missed tackles. Had a couple of UNLV defenders take each other out. And uh, that led to the touchdown for Eastern Washington. They wind up holding off the Rebels. Disappointing start to the season, 35-33. Double overtime. Adam Candy's with us. Adam Hill actually was in the area. We had him slated to come on today uh, via phone, but nice enough to stop in studio. So I'll get your reaction on uh, UNLV here in a second. So tell us what's gone down the last couple days with the Raiders in terms of roster changes because uh, they added an impact player, which is kind of amazing on defense this late in the process. And clearly they thought they needed some running back depth. Yeah. Uh, there's no, no question that they've been kind of scouring the wires. And you know, we heard uh, Mike Mayock talk about that the other day when, you know, he came in and, you know, people were asking about the 53 man roster and what about this? And what about this? And what about this guy? And why was this decision? And almost every answer was like, well, listen, it, it's a work in progress especially these next 48 hours. And he was talking about from, you know, Tuesday until uh, Thursday and Friday, um, you know, work in progress and we're going to continue to try to find guys and continue to try to get better. And that's what they've done. And they've looked around and said, you know, who's out there, who's available, uh, who could uh, help the team and who could make the roster better. And certainly the KJ Wright move is one that I think they believe makes them better today than they were Tuesday. I think anybody would think that, you know, they, they were talking, no, they weren't talking about it, but I know fans were saying, God, this is a team that only has two of the top 100 players in the entire league. <laughs> and that was based on the players vote, of course, on the NFL network, uh, ESPN did theirs. And there was only one of the top 100, but there's just not impact players. There's not star players anywhere on the field. Well, this does give you one and, and gives you one that fits. I think is more important. It's not like you just go out and find a guy who has been a really good player in the league it's a guy who has been one of the best linebackers in the league, coming off probably his best season in the league, who knows the defense, who has thrived um, in this defense under Gus Bradley when he was first in Seattle. So uh, it just made a ton of sense to go out and get him. And then for the most part, the rest of the guys that they've you know picked up here and there, um, both practice squad additions and at the end of the roster are, hey, you got to find some depth. Uh, got to find some guys that are going to be able to help. And uh, you know they, they've been able to do that. They've been able to kind of find guys – uh, just around here and there uh, to say, all right, let's let's give this guy a try. Let's you know see if this works for our roster and even the practice squad. You know the guys that they've thought might help. Where they said, nah, not going to work. And then in order to make some of those happen, you got to make some some contract moves too. So uh, Yannick Ngakwe kind of redid a little bit of his contract. Nobody lost any money from it. It was just more redoing contracts. Cleveland did his as well. Um, just you know, kind of moving some money around, and that's how they were able to make these these moves happen. Running backs. Peyton Barber, uh, was there also a claim on Royce Freeman? Yeah, they, they they tried to make the claim the other day. Again, we knew that they needed a running back, which is interesting because it seemed like Trey Regis had kind of staked his claim a little bit uh, to that spot. You know, that's the spot that Jalen Richard has held down so well over the last couple of years. They wanted a guy to fill that role. Um, we thought in training camp it was Trey Regis. But remember, you know, 
this is the question I asked, I think, three times between Mayock and Gruden, both, uh, and Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, because everybody was watching how well Regis and Evans were running the ball. Like, how well, there is thousands of guys that could run the ball in the National Football League. Thousands of them. They're out there. But the job is so much more than that. And a jo- it's part of the job that people don't pay attention to. Your role in the passing game at the NFL level is so vital to protecting the quarterback, both in pass protection and in understanding when, all right, nothing here to block. I have a, a split second to decide if I'm going to find somebody to block or to get out in a route and make myself available if the quarterback needs to throw it to me and then become a receiver instantly. Like, it's a really hard thing to learn how to do, and not that many people have been able to do it. Uh, we know that Peyton Barber can do it at this level. There's no question. And they, they trust that he's going to be able to do it. So uh, that makes some sense. Trey Regis, I think, picked up those things pretty well. But clearly they're not ready for him to do that at the NFL level in a real game. Earlier in the show, Candy and I were talking about the uh, story that cites NFL executives saying the Raiders are the 12th best team in the, in, AFC. In the AFC. And I know, Candy, um, you think they're a little higher, but you you do agree with some of the comments that were in there about roster building, right? That the Raiders just have not built the roster maybe the way they should. Well, I mean, I'll say it word for word for Adam so that he can tell us if he thinks this is accurate because he's around this process uh, day in and day out when it comes to how the Raiders actually do go about building a roster. I found a lot of accuracy in this in terms of how I look at it. Quote, I could talk to you for hours on my opinion on the Raiders and how they've botched roster management and resource allocation. Everything that I feel like is wrong and how not to run a team. I feel like it's been done there. They've invested in safeties, gone out in free agency and spent on linebackers traded away elite talent going back years. <laughs> I mean, they have. It's true. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this um, before and in other areas, and, and, and it applies to the Raiders for sure. Um, investing in running backs and safeties, like those are important positions, but it's not where you alloc- allocate your resources. And r- resource allocation is unbelievably important, and it's such a, an aspect that people don't really understand. And how many times have we harped on it with quarterback, quarterback, quarterback? Like there, there's certain ways. If you're if you have a surefire Hall of Fame quarterback, you're gonna have to pay him whatever you have to pay him to keep him around. But you can't overpay quarterbacks in the league, and teams are learning that. The Rams just learned that lesson. But you need to have a really, really good one. The Raiders have a good one in place, and the, the contract that they signed him to was pretty bad at the time. It's actually not that bad now. Uh, you know, they get a pretty good value from it. But where you can't spend money is you can't throw money at running back and throw resources at running back. Like, it's just, it's a position that you can't spend that much money on. Even though I look at the Raiders running back room, and I think a lot of people do and say, wow, that's a great room. The running back room is great. Right, but what did it cost you? A first-round pick, a ton of money in free agency for your backup. Um, you got the fullback the way, you're, the way you should, and you got a really good one at Alec Ingold. But like you don't throw resources at those things, and that's what the Raiders seem to have done. And, and so I agree with it from that perspective. Now, as, as a whole, if you ignore all those things about roster building and, and the, those points that are made that I think are really good, I think you look at this team and say, hey, they already had a good offense. I think it's going to be probably close to just as good this year. Their defense should be significantly better with a new scheme that fits the players a little bit better and the new players that are brought in that already know the scheme. It should be better. So all of those things that are that are – you know, made by the the points that are made, I think are fair and accurate. 
But that doesn't mean that they can't be a little bit better this year, and I think that they will be. Adam Hill is in studio with us. Real quick, because I want to build on this in the grab bag. Overall thoughts on the UNLV game last night? A lot of people looking at it as a glass very empty. Well, I'm sure I wasn't able to listen to the show earlier. I'm sure you guys have pointed out before. And the word, I think I was texted the words moral victory last night, maybe 12 times. Right. People are caught up on that. And, yeah. and we, I get we, played, it. we played both of the bites. And I think in context, it's a little more understandable. But just ISO quote, I mean, Candy's mentioned a bunch of times that it's, it's, not, it's not something that he's comfortable with. Yeah. And I, like, I, I, don't, I think if Marcus Oro had the chance to take it back, I think he probably would. Because after the game, for you know, you played it, but for those that didn't hear it, so we're not into moral victories around here, around here. What moral victories are you talking about? You need to go out and win that game. Now, they were close, and obviously they they had to have liked what they saw to Broomfield. The offense moved well. Williams ran the ball well. I'll say this. I thought the most dominant group in the game, for, well, Barry was really good. The Rebel defensive line was awesome yesterday. There, were, there was word that Connor Murphy might not play, and then I swear he played every single play. He's the 6'7", 260 kid transferring from USC. Uh, he was good, and uh, Kolo Yusike, who's back for like his 100th year, has slimmed down, and he's always been an effective player. If he doesn't make mental mistakes, uh, they've, got, they've got a good defensive uh, rotation up front, and then I, I kept telling everyone they're getting bigger and bigger on the edges you know, in this 3-4 alignment, they're going to get better. Now, they didn't do all they needed to do last night. No. In no, the but, end. But, no. I also, but I also think they got they got hurt by the fact that Justin Rogers just was not great for the first two and one-eighth quarters. And it by the end, I mean, now now you're in a double overtime situation. Hey, you freaking guessed. I still believe in Rogers' talent. He wouldn't take any chances. He would not take a chance last night. It's also, night. Adam, as you're watching, it's like one tap, two tap, three tap, yeah. four, like – and, then the di- and the difference with uh, Brumfield when he would drop back is the ball came out. Now, it came out 150 miles an hour, but it came out. Yeah, it did. And, and also, I would say that Rodgers Rogers not taking a chance, which he didn't do, and I, I'll, that's the fault I definitely pointed him. I'm like, dude, you can't just throw two-yard passes all day. You can't do it. And take too long. To th- if you're going to throw two-yard passes, throw them right away so somebody can run. Taking forever. And listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a Rogers guy. I believe in him. That was not... You can't play the way he played last night. You can't do it. Um, but it also did help set up things because Broomfield comes in, the defense all comes up, and he's like, all right, I'll take a deep shot because somebody's wide open down the field. You, we haven't thrown the ball past four yards. I don't blame their safeties for not coming up. And Broomfield's like, all right, cool. If you're not going to do it, then I'll throw it downfield. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Put your hand in there, Dave. Let's close on a few more points about UNLV football last night. First from you, Candy. We talked about the one and a half win total. I know you sent over, hey, that sounds about right after what you saw last night. I think it's fair now. I think it's fair that we looked at the one and a half, and of course it looks low, because seeing a one on a season win total is going to be shocking. It's the whole idea. they got to make the number interesting and try to draw some action on it. But anyone I talked to about that number, and I asked a lot of folks about this, said you got to look at that Eastern Washington game as a game you have to have if you're going to bet the over. So, Cofield, you promised me earlier on Mm -hmm. that you were going to run down the schedule and tell me where you thought the opportunities were. I think you can point to getting Hawaii here. 
yep. uh, as one, and I'll let you go down the rest of what you think are opportunities for UNLV wins. Games they can be in and potentially win after Hawaii, New Mexico, Utah State, UTSA, Air Force, San Diego State. All for different reasons. I think San Diego State's good. They might have the worst quarterback in the league. So and UTSA I mean, we, on the road won't yeah, be easy. We're gonna get we're gonna get some answers. We'll get some early answers tomorrow to see how they play against Illinois. Uh, you know, Utah State's got a new coach. Logan Bonner's a solid quarterback, but we'll see what the rest of that roster looks like. Air Force could be good, but I don't think that's an impossibility. And like I said, the New Mexico and you mentioned Hawaii. So um I, I didn't think they got blown off the field in all of the games last year. And here's the other thing to remember. What you saw last night is the beginning of a season look at a roster. There were guys who didn't suit up who are going to be factors. There are players who got in a little bit who are going to be factors. I still think Tate Martell could be a factor when he's fully healthy down the road, and I believe in the upside, and I've always believed in the upside of Brumfield, and I thought he showed a lot of why those of us who thought he should be the starting quarterback should give you some optimism. And I think all of those points are fair. I think from a broader view, from up in the plane looking down at FBS versus FCS, Mm -hmm. FBS depth players should still be able to beat an FCS school on its face. Is it different right now for UNLV here in year one and a half for Marcus Arroyo? Potentially. But I don't think that's the wider view of what happened last night. Adam, what do you think of the one and a half win total? I mean... I, I think you can look at both things. I, I look at last night as um, as much as you know you want to win the game and you should win that game. You have a, a you know a school at home that you should probably beat, even though they're good. Um, I think you have to win that game in order to put yourself in a position to, to go at that number because I'm looking I'm looking at the schedule and I don't. Here's here's the problem. Sometimes it's not just individual games. You can't just look at an individual game on a schedule. I'm looking ahead. <laughs> That's the problem. And I think they're going to be. I mean, I would say you go to the UTSA game. What's that? The sixth game, fifth game. Um, UTSA is fifth, so and you, and the problem is it's after that's the problem is it's after Arizona State, home Iowa State at Fresno. So you could be kind of beat up as you have to hit the road against a, an underrated UTSA team. And I think and I I've heard people look at like oh UTSA that's a winnable game. I'm like I I think they'll be double digit underdogs. UTSA is less than a touchdown at Illinois this week. So I, I think you'll be double-digit underdogs in that game, and that means you know you can you can you know play out the percentages of what that means. Is there no chance they're going to win? No, there's there's chances they're going to win games. They have talent on the team. They can win some games, even when you're a twenty-point favorite or underdog. You can still win a game. I mean, that doesn't mean you have a hundred percent chance of losing. You have like a three percent chance of winning, maybe. And so yeah, you're going to have low percentages of chance to win every single game, but you're going to be in them. But I, I think the problem is. You can look at those games at the end of the year and say, hey, those are games you should be in and maybe even win. But what is your mindset if you're 0-7 and you've been blown out by 30 points four times? Definitely a factor. Yeah. You're right. Definitely a factor. And, and Candy hinted at that earlier. You know, at what point uh, do some of the older guys go, man, again, we're, you know, we're in the doldrums here. And that's why the, the new blood on the team, whether it's transfer portal guys, but especially the young guys, a lot of the defensive players are brought in, are going to be a big part of this. Like, they have to be contributors by you know the the third or fourth game of the season and be part of the rotation. Get in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Hey, Candy, I wanted you to uh, loop us in on what's going on with grade requirements and uh, eligibility for sports. I thought this 
was an interesting story, and I, I got to be honest, it's one of those things where I thought I was going to feel one way about it when I opened up the story, and then by the time I got done, I kind of was scratching my head, like, I'm really not sure what I think. Uh, so CCSD has changed the requirements for eligibility. Uh, it's a temporary adjustment. It says that students can gain eligibility after the first three weeks for academic performance. Under the old rules, students who underperformed academically were required to sit out at least the first nine weeks of the following semester. So, you know, that obviously goes back to last year when we're talking about the Clark County School District and the fact that a lot of kids were on distance learning and some of the coaches from schools who were, let's say, more underprivileged uh, than other places said, look, some of our kids didn't even get the Chromebooks, the technology they needed to be able to learn from home uh, until later in the semester. So giving them a chance to come back after three weeks instead of nine is going to keep kids more engaged in school this year. They're not going to just give up on school because they feel like, well, I'm not going to be able to get back in for football season in time. I think I went into it feeling like, why should we be lowering grade requirements when the idea is you have to have a 2.0, which isn't exactly top of the barrel uh, to be able to play. But when you look at the equity issues that are involved here, I kind of feel like CCSD might be doing the right thing in terms of providing that opportunity sooner than later. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Last one to mention. Boy, I was happy to see this one, and uh, this change has got to come here. You see Gus Malzahn after the game last night, Central Florida, and Boise was talking about his Waffle House order. Uh, you know, because they, they were wrapping up the press conference at like 1.45 in the morning. He said, ham and cheese omelet, scattered, smothered, covered, chunk. Uh, then, dramatic pause. He goes, probably tonight, I'll get a waffle, too. Wow. That's nice. That's a big night. And those waffles, as I screamed at you, are very easy to eat. They're not very bulky. <laughs> we don't have time to debate the size of the waffle. We need a Waffle House here. Real I, bad. That's what I was saying. Right, Candy? We need a Waffle House so we can dine in. Bring it. <laughs> Bring it. All right, Candy. Great job. Thanks for coming in, Adam. Ari, good week of guest booking. We'll see you. Paulie Howard, up next.